one, and we were able to, to make it in. It was a uh, nice traffic on the way out, nice rainy and Mother's Day, so all sorts of traffic on the way back in, um, and glad we're able to make it uh, back this evening, and uh, very grateful and thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach. I was out at Community Baptist this morning, and we had the, the, the members that were out there this morning, and then um, had a good time going through our Sunday School uh, series there. Uh, this evening, we're going to be preaching um, out of Exodus, the first, we're going to be doing some out of the first chapter and the second chapter this morning, or this evening, uh, but if you turn, we're going to be starting um, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, and in uh, in line with the theme of Mother's Day, or it being Mother's Day, we're going to be looking at um, the mother of Moses, and kind of looking at her story, and just kind of getting some application from from her account and from what happened in, in her life here. Um, and it's a very interesting story as we see kind of um, how Moses is introduced to us um, in his birth here. But we'll start reading in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, um, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field at all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives of which the name of the one was Shifra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools. If it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, For they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied, and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. We'll end the reading there, we'll continue on as we get into chapter 2. Uh, but it's very interesting as we as we come into the context of the story here. If you recall, and it, hopefully, you know, coming up soon, actually, in the the Bible time stories, we're going to be coming up on the account of Joseph and his brothers, 
And as you recall, as we're coming out of Genesis, the book of Genesis, we see the introduction of Joseph along with you know, other, Jacob's other sons. And in that account, we see that Joseph was allowed to be taken into bondage himself into Egypt many years earlier. And through his faithfulness and his dedication to God, he was elevated into a position where he was essentially second in command, only behind Pharaoh himself. Through many years of struggle and and turmoil, he got there, you know, and God positioned him there. And through his wisdom, God was able to not only help Egypt survive one of the greatest famines in all of history, he was able to lead Egypt to the point where Egypt had become one of the great world powers at that time. And I think it's very interesting as we get in here, we have this this Pharaoh who comes along, this king who forgets about Joseph. He forgets about the, the leadership that God had provided through Joseph. Um, and they, they put the children of Israel, Joseph's brethren, Joseph's family and Joseph's lineage. He puts them into bondage to build the treasure cities. And if you think about it, where did the treasure come from? It probably came in most part because of Joseph's leadership. So the king here... He's putting them into bondage and he's making them suffer and he's putting them through hard bondage, making them suffer and endure hard labor to be able to store up all the treasures they've amassed. And most of that treasure came through the wisdom of Joseph as he was able to lead them and show them, hey, the famine's coming. And because Egypt was the only nation in most of the world that was prepared for that famine, People came to them and were just giving up their resources and and surrendering and and writing over their lands just so they could survive the famine. And the only reason they were even prepared for that was because of Joseph. This guy forgets about them. And as the nation of Israel is there, they were herdsmen, they were quiet people, but their their nation starts to, to grow and blossom right there in the middle of Egypt, in the land of Goshen there. And the children of Israel, they start, they start, oh man, there's a lot more of them. Which I think is one thing I think is interesting is you look at Egypt and the fact is they're a world power and they're in the same nation, they're in the same area, they're the same geography, but the children of Israel are being blessed and their their nation is growing. They're having children, the families are growing abundantly and Egypt in that same climate, they're not seeing that same growth and that same strength. They're just kind of maintaining and the Pharaoh, he as he forgets, and, and Joseph becomes more of a distant memory. You know, hundreds, a couple hundred years go by and Joseph is a distant memory now. He forgets about the, the impact that he had on the nation. And he starts to get to think within himself that, oh, our blessings here in Egypt come from our gods and from the gods that we worship, not because of the wisdom that the Israelites' God bestowed upon one of their great leaders. And they start becoming uplifted in themselves and he starts to feel threatened by the nation of Israel. He's like, these people are going to get strong and you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a war that comes along and we've got all these people right here and they're going to see their chance to take all the stuff that, that maybe they helped contribute to grow and they're going to run off with it. And the Pharaoh here is afraid that if these Israelites get in contact with one of our enemies... That enemy will come in and destroy us, and they're going to help him. 
And so Pharaoh says, you know what, we're going to help kind of thin out their population a little bit. We'll do it quietly. So he gathers together a meeting of the midwives that work and help with the Hebrew women. And he concocts this plan. He's like, you know what, I'll just do it quietly. And he gets all the Egyptians kind of behind the plan here and says, you realize that we're in great danger. If these people multiply too much, they're going to overtake us. So we're going to do it preemptively without going in and making a big to do about just killing our slaves. What we'll do is we're just going to tell the midwives to kill the men children as they're born and kind of pass it off. And when you read the context here, we'll, we'll see in just a moment here, it almost kind of passes off. Let's pass it off as if it's kind of like a stillborn. Just kind of kill the baby. Don't even make a big to-do about it. If it's, a, if it's a man-child, kill it. If it's a girl, let, him, let her survive. It won't really matter. We'll just kind of thin out the population that way. They won't have men to lead their nation anymore. And we'll slowly just kind of weed them out. And they'll, they'll thin out. There'll be less and less of them. The midwives, however, it says here in the story, they fear God. As they're there, they, 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 they can't... Now, you have to understand the context here for a moment, too. The Pharaoh is in charge. If somebody comes up and, and disregards an order of a Pharaoh directly to the Pharaoh, what's going to happen to him or her? Execution, right? So there's not like an opportunity for the women here that are midwives to come in and say... Pharaoh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the way to take care of this population increase of the Hebrew women and the Hebrew nation. That's, I don't think that's the way to do it. Those women would have been put away. They would have been put to death. They would have been gone. Pharaoh would have found somebody else within the nation of Egypt that kind of agrees with him and would have gone along with it and would have been just fine with, with this infanticide that he was proposing. So the midwives here, I think they're, they're kind of pretty cunning here. The leaders, I'm thinking these two that are named are probably the leaders, or maybe they're like, it says the office of a midwife. So I'm imagining there's probably at least some kind of official capacity, and they're the ones responsible for this one. Maybe they're the most experienced, or maybe they're the ones that have become a leader within that occupation. And as they're going in there, they realize, man, the Pharaoh, he, and he's convinced a lot of people that this is okay. So they go in and they direct the midwives and say, we can't do this we got to figure out a way not to do this. Like, we can't just go in and kill these men children as they're born and pass off. Like, how horrible would that be for the mother to experience that over and over again just because he's crazy? We, we can't go along with his plan. And so they, they don't do it. They just don't do it. Now, when he calls them in, because I don't know how long it goes on without nothing happening. I'm imagining maybe, maybe it's a couple years after, and he's looking around, he's like, I'm expecting them not to be as many, but as we go around and we count them, I notice there's a lot of really tiny boys running around that shouldn't be alive because of my plan. And when we did a census of them, there are a lot more of them than they're supposed to be. So he calls in these midwives and they say, what's going on here? And sorry, brother, I just reminded me of this when you're like with um, Abby being born, you know, the midwife coming in. What's going on? You don't understand. These Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. The Egyptian women, they're in labor for hours and hours and hours and hours. You know, we're, we're there with them the entire time. The Hebrew women, by the time 
we hear their water breaks, we show up and the baby's born. The midwife's coming around the corner and the baby's already out. The dad delivered the baby. We didn't have time to make it there. It, it was, the baby was already walking around by the time I showed up. You know, they, they were, they were so fast, we can't, we couldn't keep up with it. And so, you know, Pharaoh is there and he's thinking, you know, your, your job is to go in and, and kill the baby before the mom can do anything about it. And they're like, we tried to. And every time, every time we were there, I think the baby, I think the, I think the men babies get born faster. I don't know what it is. The girls were there. We were able to help them. But by the time the boys are born, they're already out and, and we can't even pass it off. And, you know, because my, my imagination would be that if Pharaoh had said that plan to the midwives that knew, you know, the Hebrew women would have been like, um, yeah, no, we'll, we'll have our own people come in and help us with the deliveries here. We're not going to get your help if your plan is to kill every man child that's born. And so Pharaoh, he kind of ups his game a little bit. And he says, you know what? You're not going to go along with this one. I, you know, obviously this is true. I, I, my, my midwives, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to stand against my face. I'm like, I would kill them otherwise. They're not going to be there. So God blessed the midwives. And then Pharaoh comes in and he's like, you know what? No more. I, I, I can't do it behind the scenes anymore. I can't do it like in the dark shadows. I, I can't get people to go along with this in the back offices and kind of do my dirty work for me. He kind of comes right out and just says, we're doing a nationwide infanticide. And so now he sends his soldiers out into the, into the crew. And right at the end of chapter one there, he says, you know what? No more of having the midwives do this. Obviously, they can't get there in time. So I don't care if the baby's born. If it's a man, you go in, you throw him into the river. So then as we come into chapter two here, they, they've kind of, you know, the midwives, who knows how long that takes for them to, to, to kind of stand in the gap and protect these, these innocent children from this infanticide. But as we come into chapter two, whatever time that frame, frame that is, now we see, you know, an, an account here. As we start into chapter two, we're introduced to Jochebed, you know, Moses' parents, his, his father and his mother. And it says here, and there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done with him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along the river or walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. So what we have here now is, after his initial plan of trying to get all of the midwives, obstetricians, child child rearing coaches to come in and commit infanticide for him. After that plan fails, 
he just kind of takes the full frontal assault and just goes in. And, and when, when they find the man, baby, they throw him into the river. If it's a girl, she's okay for right now. But they just do that. They, they chunk him right into the river um, and they go about their business. And so if you, and, and in the context here, we have people who are in enslaved people. Like these people are in slavery. So as they're in there and they're delivering children and they have the children there, the, the children, the child that's born, she's here and she's hiding the child keeping it quiet, and, and I'm just imagining, as this kind of comes out as a command, how does that, what does that look like? They're, you know, they probably have soldiers, or they probably have the people that are part of the Egyptian army. Maybe they're going around, and they're watching, they're keeping an eye out. You know, oh, that, that woman was pregnant. Let's, let's make sure, you know, what was, what was her child, you know? And so, they're, so she has to be very careful and cautious. She delivers the child in secret, and she keeps him for three months. And I think that one thing is very sad, like, you know, Instead of being able to be excited and share excitement with their community, they have to be very quiet. And maybe, maybe now it's a much more morose time. They're afraid of what's going to happen when the baby is born. There's no longer necessarily that joy and celebration. The, the death and, and the destruction that is kind of like permeating that culture now, maybe that's kind of like overhanging them. Like there's probably a dread to something that's supposed to bring about great joy. And so they're walking around trepidatious and she's there, and she's hiding this child for three months. But it sounds like Moses might have a lot of energy. And maybe he's a little too excited, and she's like, you know what, I, I can't do this. And, and I could just imagine through that three months, maybe there are other people like her that were trying to hide their children. And what do you think is going to happen to a person who's a slave in a land, who's directly disobeying the command? I'm imagining these families are being destroyed as the king of Egypt finds out about them, and now, we don't see this in the account, but I'm just imagining if you have a, a slave people that is supposed to be killing their men children, and now you're going in and throwing their men children into the into the river to be you know killed by eaten by alligators. If if an army is going through and maybe the captains are going through and they're finding, oh, you had a child and you didn't throw them in the river, they're probably making examples out of them. Maybe they're beating those families. Maybe they're destroying their homes that they have there. You know, who knows what's going on, but in most cases, you know, a king is going to say, if you're dis- disobeying my commands, I can't let you get, a- get off by that lightly, because then we're going to have a bad example, and people are going to keep on doing it. So they're going to try to strike fear in the hearts of these people, and destroy these families that are trying to protect their children, like doing the thing that's natural. And so now, we have this woman hiding him for three months, and they've probably seen some of the terrible things that have happened to families that are in the same position. And so now as they're in fear, they're in fear of the, of the king's commandment. And so then she comes up with a plan. She's like, well, the commandment is that I have to throw him into the river. Well, it doesn't say I can't put him inside something first. So she makes this bulrush, an arc of bulrushes, daubs it out. She makes a capsule, capsule for him that he puts him in there, covers it up, and sends it out of the river. And then his sister is there watching from the sidelines as it's kind of maybe in the river, kind of stuck in the weeds. And, and miraculously, it's drawn to where Pharaoh's daughter happens to be. The man who created this decree in the first place, right? So he, she's out there. She wades out and she sees it over there. And she says, hey, go out and grab that. You know, there, there could be crazy stuff in that water too. You know, she's in the safe part of it. It's over in the area where there might be some wild animals. So she sounds out maids, you know, like, you're expendable. Go ahead and grab that. See what's there. So bring that in. It's there. Open it up. There's a baby and it starts crying. And immediately she recognizes that this is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Now, interestingly here, the command went around the entire nation of, of Egypt. Everybody knows that at, at, at this point, this child, she knows her father's decree has been that this child be killed in the river. She sees the child. She has compassion on him. There's something within her that is so innately human that understands that what her father has commanded is so atrocious. She has compassion on the child. She can't throw him into the river. She realizes that this command of infanticide that her father has dictated is ridiculous. It's depraved. And she can't even go along with it. She's a member of his own household and she's like, how disgusting is he? But she says, you know, I'm going to take care of the child. And then as she says, oh, what can I do? I'm, I'm going to take care of the child. What am I going to do? Like we already see the fact that she's out there bathing and she has attendants taking care of her. She's one of those, you know, high up people. Everything is taken care of for her. She has attendants taking care of everything. She has a person that bathes her. A person that draws her water, that does everything for her. If she had a child, she's going to have 20 attendants to take care of the child and do everything. She's going to have 30 nannies, you know, for her own children. So, as she's there, she's like, oh, well, I've got the child. And then Miriam, you know, his sister comes in. Well, what are you going to do? Like, do you, do you need me to help you find a, a, a nursemaid? Somebody who could take care of the baby for you? Maybe get you a nanny? And, her, and Pharaoh's daughter says, that'd be great. And then, with the turn of events here, Moses' mom is now contracted to be his mom. And gets wages for being his mom. Now, how many mothers out there would like that? How many of you would love to get the wages of a nanny to take care of your own children? They get paid a salary for that. The stuff that you have to do anyways, you get paid for that. And so now Pharaoh's daughter hires Moses' mom to take care of him and pays him pays her wages. And not only that, because she's raising him, but raising him for her, so she can adopt him later on, he's protected from that insane command that her father did. So, because of Jacobet's faith and throwing Moses into the river, but doing it in a, a very creative way, she was able to protect him and keep him safe. And God blessed that to the point now where Moses is here being raised with all of the best benefits of Egypt with the education and the, being instilled with the knowledge of who God really is. He's understanding his history through his mother of who he is as a Hebrew and, and his nation as, as a child of God and as an Israelite. He's understanding his heritage and he's getting raised in all the best and true sciences of the Egyptians. You know, we understand that they had their false gods, but... Have you, seen the, have you seen the pyramids? They still have, like, the, the, the Hebrew Israelites would have been probably used to build some of those. And the brick and the mortar they were putting together. But those things are very, like, architecturally advanced. Even by our standards today. And if you look at those, they're, they're what, some of the wonders of the world? And you look at those and you look at that, that's a mathematic like scientifically advanced structure. And so we have Moses here. He's getting the best education of like actual education, not the fake stuff we have today, in addition to getting raised with 
by his mom some of the foundations in the faith of who he is as a child of God, as a child of Israel, you know, through faith in Abraham. So he's, he's getting both of those things, and as he's raised there, and then he's here, and in verse 10 he says, you know, as the child grew, brought him into Pharaoh's daughter, he became her son, and, and so here we have Moses, he's getting a solid foundation in who he is um, as being a Hebrew child, and being raised in, in the best you know, in, in the best realm as far as like within Egypt. He's getting the best education, best resources for everything. So both of these th- those things happen here. Now, without going into too much detail, because we're kind of, kind of, we to keep this in the context of, you know, Mother's Day and like her responsibility and what Jochebed did here and her, her demonstration of faith. But th- we know who Moses is. We know how God used Moses. So as Moses is being raised, he recognizes that what's going on in the, the bondage of the children of Israel, and he realizes that those are his people. He tries to rise up and do something himself about it, but he fails. And he, he's cast off, and he's wandering out, and he runs away in the wilderness. And God brings him back in, and God uses Moses in a miraculous way to deliver the children of Israel. Now, before we get to Hebrews and read the verse about... Moses' mom. I want you to read verse 10, or verse 10 of chapter 1 with me one more time. And think about the deliverance that God did with the children of Israel. And, and just think with me a moment. We read this verse already. But think of how this almost sounds like a prophecy of what God did through Moses. But in verse 10 of chapter 1, this is what Pharaoh was afraid of when he first started that infanticide plan. Come on. Let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemy and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Doesn't that sound like exactly what happened when the children of Israel left Egypt? It was kind of like, in reality, what happened was the Egyptians put themselves up against God. They made themselves to be an enemy of God and rejected God's command to let his people go. And then God said, you know what? I'm going to join you in judgment. And as the children of Israel were brought out, it wasn't so much that the Israelites became the enemy of them and joined an enemy. They became enemies of God. And God came in and judged the land of Egypt and destroyed the land of Egypt. And when Israel got up and came out like he was afraid of there in chapter 10, not only did they just leave and they lost their slaves, if you remember, the Egyptians gave them a lot of gold and money and jewels and said, get out. So not only did they lose their slave and their workforce, they lost all of the wealth as well. And so in in some ways, it almost sounds like that verse there in chapter 10 that Pharaoh was being prophetic, not meaning to be. He's like, what he was afraid of actually came to pass, and it was because of God's judgment. You know, so we, we see here a couple of things as, as we're thinking about this in the context, maybe, of Mother's Day, and even in the context of our culture. We see in this story that, one, God has great reverence and, and love of life. Partially, one of the initial things that triggers, especially, you know, not so much like they had an entered servitude. You know, the Israelites were there in the land. 
they were servants. You know, Joseph was a servant there. And we see as, as, as the Pharaoh forgets who Joseph is, they start having a disregard for life. And, and you see here that Pharaoh puts himself, positions himself as an enemy of God as he embraces infanticide. He, he becomes an enemy of life. And, and if you think about our culture today, how many, how many people are, are kind of shocked and astonished when you look on news reports and you see people who are so embracing of infanticide as if it's a normal thing? And, and you, you know, people who have common sense look at that. And it's kind of, it's astonishing to see how people in our culture can be so, like, even indifferent toward infanticide. Like, oh, well, why would you have a problem with that? Like, how, how do you not have a problem with that? Like, it's unconscionable, but people act as if it's okay. We even see our governor here in our, in our state acting as if it's okay. Like, you have a problem with that? Yes. And, and what we see here is that is kind of, you know, yes, it's a decline away, you know, because this person worshiped false gods. But the Pharaoh who remembered Joseph, even though he worshiped false gods, he gave, he, he gave reverence at least to Joseph and his family and understood, hey, Joseph has wisdom from somewhere beyond me. But this Pharaoh who forgot him, it wasn't just that he forgot that, oh, Joseph's family had to serve to God. He, he's fully embracing this idea of infanticide. As they embrace that, that culture goes away. And we see there within Egypt, there's at least some remnant of people, those midwives that say, no, we can't go along with that. And so he gets everyone else in the culture to go along with it. And says, fine, if you're not going to be a part of the plan, we're going to do it on our own. And so Egypt goes all in on this concept of infanticide and destruction and death and, and, and just this, this horrible depravity. And as they, they sink into that. And then as, as we see Moses' mother here, her and her family are caught up in this thing where this society thinks it's normal. Or are they embracing it and they're allowing it? And her and her family, facing the scorn and facing the judgment of the king, they say, you know what? We're not afraid of the king. We're not afraid of his king's commandment. We, like those midwives, are more afraid of God than we are of those commandments. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, the way it reads and the way it's presented in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, it says, by faith Moses. Now, understand this. Moses was three months old. He can't exercise faith at three months old. So when we say here in verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So we understand that Moses at three months old <coughs> had no choice in the matter. He can say, mom and dad, you can't do this. He couldn't even talk at that time. At that point, all he was doing was making a lot of noise. And you know, maybe that was maybe even making it more difficult for Jochebed to keep him hidden. And so we see that this is actually a display of faith by his parents. And they said, you know what? We're not afraid of the king's commandment. We're going to stand up to that one and we're going to protect our child. And even as she put him in the bulrushes, she did everything she could to protect him. And as we read on in verse 24, it looks as though while he was spending time with his mother there being you know, nursed by her and being trained by her before he was kind of like let out on his own. And who knows how long that could have been? Maybe he was five, six or seven. But he comes in here 
And in in verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So what we see here is that Moses, as he was raised, and again, think about this. He was raised by Jochebed in a home, given the, the, the rudimentary foundations of faith. He was told about um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his heritage, and, and how Joseph came into Egypt. He understood that history, and how his people came to be there. And then he was raised in the culture of Egypt. He was getting educated there. He was getting the best education of the pharaohs. And, and I think it's interesting because out of anybody there, he was probably one of the only people that was experiencing both worlds. Like you have all the Hebrew people, they're raised there, they're slaves, they're enslaved, they're, they're in bondage, all they can do is work. That's all they're allowed to do. You can't teach them and train them. Why? If you make them too smart, they're going to rise up against you. You're not going to let them get educated. Let them have their fairy tales of their history and whatever else, you know, whatever. Egyptians over here, we have the education, we have the best of everything. Moses is raised in both. And as he's there, I can just imagine the people in Egypt looking on in scorn at these people that are in bondage to them. They're, there, they're our slaves. Who cares about them? They're nothing to us. And the Egyptians here, they're the, the strongest, they're the world power. And as they're looking down on the people over here, Moses, he's within that society he looks over and he sees his people in bondage and he recognizes, you know what? I'm a child of God and those are my people. And he rejects by choice the best things the world has to offer, understanding that the eternal reward that God has to offer is so much greater than anything they have to offer. And you know why that is? 90% of it at least. I can't, you know, like statistics and stuff. I just passed the class on it. But you can't really make a statistical observation on this one. But most likely, a lot of the reason had to do with his mom. His mother's investment into him at the home. He was getting all that junk filled into him with those Egyptians. But he had that foundation from when he was a child. Being raised there at his mother's knee. Learning the stories of his history. Learning from his... And I would say because, if you think about it, her job would have been there to take care of him. His dad would have been one of the slaves out in the field all the time. He's out there under slavery, under bondage, working 16-hour days, barely getting sleep. And it's becoming a more and more of a rigor. So now he's working 20 hours a day, not getting sleep, and he's exhausted. She's there taking care of the children like all the other wives. And, you know, some of them are pulled away to be maids and take care of, of the, the extra wealthy people in Egypt. And over here, we've got Moses being taken care of by his mother, who God, through a miraculous way, allowed her to see her child grow and raised. And, and maybe she probably took and cherished those moments, especially as she was knowing, you know what, there's going to be a time when, when, when Pharaoh's daughter is going to realize that she doesn't need me to take care of him anymore. So maybe she's taking extra effort, knowing, you know what, my time could be really short here. I need to do everything I can to instill as much truth and as much of a foundation as I possibly can before, they're bom- before he's bombarded and, and just immersed in the world culture. Because, you know what, as much as we are very protected here in, in, cult, in, in, in church, you know, we're, 
we have a, a protected environment. We're able to, to understand that the, the truth of God's word is here. We go out in the world and we're bombarded by the message of, of lies from the world constantly. And, and as that message has come through us, we need to take time to spend time in God's word. And so as we look at, this, at, at the account here of Moses' mother, we see a great story of one. We see uh, that, you know, that God has great respect for life. And the importance of, of being a mother. And it's, it's not something that's looked down upon. And, and as we look at the culture, and, and as our society even today embraces this, this culture of death, and, and, and you know, some people, you, you look at this in this infanticide here. I remember when I was a kid and I heard the story for the first time, it was, it was a, a very common thing that in our culture, this was a, a ghastly thing. Like, oh, people... They, they killed babies. Now it's like half the people you talk to might be okay with it. And they don't find it as disgusting, which I think is a horrible indictment on our culture and our society. But we see here that, you know what? People who are in line with God and fear God, they don't care what the rest of the world thinks. They're going to stand for life because God stands for life. And we're going to defend life because that's what God does. God loves life. He gives life. He's the giver of life. And so we see that God is on the side of life, and then he doesn't have this disdain for motherhood, like a lot of people in our culture. And we, of course, today's Mother's Day, right? So everyone celebrates Mother's Day. I think it's kind of ironic that people who have embraced this death culture act as if they can celebrate Mother's Day at the same breath. Like, we see here that these things are two, two juxtapositions. We, we see, like, an opposite ends of the spectrum here. How can somebody celebrate motherhood and have such disdain for life? You can't. You, you can't in all honesty. And so we see here a juxtaposition of people, and we see that God is on the side of life, and he has, he has great value for motherhood. Moses is con- considered to this day one of the greatest leaders in all of history. Period. Not even, that's not even just a, 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 a statement of a Bible believer. If you look at even secular records and just the fact of historical information, historical record, Moses is considered to be one of the greatest leaders in all of history. Hands down. And much of that influence has to do with the fact of how he was raised. You know, the whole the old adage, you know, hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. There, there is much to be said about the value of motherhood and the ability to be able to educate and have influence on small children. And to be able to raise them to have admonition and respect for the Lord. And there's so much of that that is, that is, that is, is instilled by mothers and their love for God. If you think about, I, I think even over in the Old Testament we have some great leaders. And I, I think about the account of, of Timothy even. What, what's the story of Timothy? You know, there's, there's an allusion to the fact that, you know, maybe his father wasn't around or father wasn't a believer, but his mom and his grandmother were, were dedicated believers, and they instilled within Timothy love for God's word. And, and there's, there's so much that can't be discounted. And, and you know, there's such a high value for motherhood. And sometimes, especially with today's culture, we have so many people that are saying, well, you know, you can have it all. You have to do all of this. And, and there's so little value placed on even just raising children as if it's, it's a burden. And, and why would you deal with that? Like, there's so much better you can do. Really? 
I think what Moses' mom did was pretty great. And I think when you look at all of the, the impacts, if you think even about your own mothers, what was the impact they had on you? What was the ability you had? What did you learn from them? And there's, there's so much importance placed on that. And it's not a negative thing. They, they act like it's such a burden today. And it's something that should be joyous. I think about Jacobit, when I mentioned it earlier. Think about that, that, that time of joy that, that most often... That time when you're getting ready to have the baby, it's so exciting and everyone's joyful. And, and think about that moment in that society where because they had such dread of what was going to happen to the children, the, the mothers were going around hiding pregnancies and they were hiding this because they knew what was going to come because of the, the wicked decree of that king. You know, think about the dread of that moment that's supposed to bring so much joy. And, you know, it, it, it's almost interesting. Sometimes when you look at the attitude of people in the world today, it, it's almost the same attitude. Like, oh, well, you know, once you have a baby, it, your, your life is just over. It, it's something that's supposed to be so joyous is now, ter- because our culture has embraced death so much, it's like, your life is over. It's, I feel so bad for you. Why? Something that's supposed to bring joy. And you have to understand that it's the culture of death that's been embraced by everyday society and people in society. Not necessarily everybody, but the vocal crew in society have embraced that. And so now we have this attitude where something that's joyous is sometimes hidden or are not fully expressed because of the attitudes of some people and because of the culture there. But we see in the passage here that God has great respect for life and God has great respect in the dignity of motherhood, and it's a very valuable, honorable role in God's eyes. And as we think about that in the context of art, you know, for us, like, well, one, not everyone in here can be a mother. I can't. It's not going to happen for me. But when we think about it, you know, we need to take on the perspective, you know what, what should we do? We need to value life the way God does. We need to take that stand for life the way that God does. Our responsibility is to be defenders of life. When we look at the, the, there in Hebrews, it says that his parents faced the judgment of God. Who knows who would have had the more harsher or the more harsh punishments, whether it would have been his mother or, or Moses' father. I don't know. We don't hear any of the stories of what happened to them, but I could only imagine that, oh, that leader in that home, that man that's there, he's the one that, that, that causes affront to us. Maybe he would have been the one, or maybe when you look at the, the society in large, maybe he would have been the one that facing the larger punishment for allowing that to happen in his home. But he's the one who led in the de- defiance of Pharaoh. Who knows? But both of them were fearful, and they said, you know what, we're, we're more afraid of God, and we have more respect for God than we have fear of this commandment of the king. So both of his parents were on the line, or on the chopping block, as you would say, there for that decision but they both stood for life and they defended life and they said it's valuable. And in that same token, because they're standing for life, they valued the importance of motherhood. And I could just imagine, as, Joseph, as Moses' his father is there, how excited he is that his son is back in the home. And it's like, you know, maybe he's thinking, you're, Jacobin, your crazy plan of putting him in that ark worked. Like, I can't believe it. And now she's paying you. She's paying you. Like, you're a slave. She doesn't even have to pay you. She can just say, you're, you're in charge of this. But she's actually just paying you for it. She's giving you wages for it. 
And, and maybe, maybe they're getting more wages and more, more, uh, wealth than any of the other Hebrews because of that decision. And he's thinking, I can't believe you did it, but he's excited. Maybe they're high five behind the scenes. I don't know. Like, that was a great plan. And so they're going on about that one. But, but when we're looking at it, you know, we need to have the attitude that God has. We need to be defenders of life and we need to value motherhood. And we need to take that responsibility and say, you know what? We have younger children here that we need to make sure that we're raising them in the admonition of the Lord. Because what's going to happen when they're 15, 16? You have teenagers coming up soon. They're going out into the world. You have to give them the foundation so when they go out into the world, they can stand on their own. Because as, as much as we would like to be able to force our kids down the path, right? We all have our own choice. And there's got to be a point when even your children have to decide. And, and the thing is, the foundation you're laying now at the younger ages is what's going to give them that ability when they're faced with that decision. Like, hey, the, the world has a lot of this to offer. I see a lot of pleasure in that sin right now. But they have a foundation in God's word that says, you know what? There's an eternal way to glory that's going to be so much more than what those people can offer right there. And you have to instill that now. And you know what? Maybe you're not a parent. Maybe your children aren't here right now. But you know what you can do? You can be an encouragement to mothers around here. You don't have to have kids here yourself. You can be an encouragement to to mothers and to fathers and say, oh man, I remember when I was having that difficulty. Oh man, I, you know... I may not have my own children, but you know what? I'm going to instill the same values that you're trying to push for in your children. Maybe you're going to demonstrate those values as well. You know what? Sometimes there might be some mothers here that would like to have the backup of other women having the same standards to display to their children. It'd be kind of nice if every child that walked around here, every woman they encountered had that motherly attitude to take care of them and was concerned about their spiritual growth. We can all do that, can't we? How about men? As we're walking around here, we're seeing the kids walk around here. Do we have to be perfect? No. But how about we display and we demonstrate and we support fathers to be godly fathers to each other. Encourage each other that way. How about we stand for it together? We say, you know what? No, that doesn't happen here. We defend life together. We support the value of children and raising them in the admonition of the Lord as a responsibility together. And we hold each other accountable. It's interesting to me when you, th- when you think about the weddings, you know, that happen here. Ours, ours happened here, right here. But what is, what is part of the wedding? It says, you know, before God and these witnesses. Do you know what part of the thing about getting married in public is? We're, we're demonstrating that we're accountable to each other. That's part of what a wedding is supposed to be public for. You hold the people that you see get married accountable to their vows. Hey, I saw you commit to each other in marriage. When you guys have, when people have children, you know what? You're responsible to take care of them. When we had the dedication service for Aria, we said, hey, we're, we're dedicating her to the service of the Lord. What happens when we get out of line? It's your responsibility to say, hey, you dedicated her to the Lord. You said that you're going to serve the Lord and you're going to raise her in the admonition of the Lord. You're getting out of line. We can hold each other accountable and encourage each other. It doesn't always mean that we have to get in each other's face, but it would say, hey, is there a challenge going on? What's difficult going on right now? How can I help you? And it doesn't have to be your own child. Now, obviously, you don't go around like, you know, disciplining your own children, other people's children and stuff like that. But what I'm talking about is as you're going around, encourage each other and say, hey, how can I help you out? We need to raise this next generation coming up to serve the Lord 
and we need to be on the same page together. You know, when we're, when we're thinking about pastor, when he's in there and he's serving here with his family, you know, he's an example for us. And, and maybe when we're following that example, you say, hey, how can we get in line with that one? How can we support the vision and the work that's going on here? You know, hey, we've got the church going forth and, and witnessing and, and testifying and, and being a witness in the community. How can we support that? And, and it's a matter of being faithful in our stance for, for life and respecting that next generation, saying, you know what, there's a value in that that, that we can't let the world take away. Don't let them, you know, don't, don't kind of pass on and say, I'm just imagining Miriam there as she sees and says, hey, I can find you a nursemaid there. What if, what if Miriam just said, oh, Pharaoh's daughter found her, it was great, and walked away. What would have happened to Moses? He would have been found, they would have found a nursemaid among the Egyptians. He would have been raised as an Egyptian Three months old, he would have been able to disregard what he'd learned at three, three months old. And he would have just gone full force into that as an Egyptian. God would have used somebody else to come in and deliver the children of Israel. And Moses would have been destroyed just like every other child and every other person there in the army. But we see that Miriam was there faithful to say, oh, wait, 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 wait. That's my brother. And he needs to be raised in the admission of the Lord. Let me find you a Hebrew woman to take care of that child. And she made sure that he was able to get grounded in the word. And they, there was, there was a, a communal understanding like, hey, we need, to, we need to watch out for each other and we need to make sure that we're protecting and we're being instilled in God's word. So this evening, as we, as we look at the story here, and we understand that, you know, uh, Moses' mother had, had every opportunity and every excuse because of all the laws and everything crazy was going on around her. But she had faith in God and said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be afraid of the king's commandment. I'm going to be obedient to God and I'm going to value life the way he does. And I'm going to take the responsibility he's given me to raise my child and do what I need to do. So this evening, we'll go ahead and close in a, in a word of prayer. We'll play some piano. Um, and as you think about your position, whether you're a mother or not, you know, we're very thankful for mothers. But we think about our, our opportunities. You know, what are the, the areas in life that... You know, one, we could be a better defender of life. Maybe we need to take a firmer stance on something. Maybe you need to be more vocal about that. You know, in, in our community, you may be more supportive of people. Um, as I was, you know, reading stuff, re- even recently, you, when you see, when you see a woman out on the street, you know, in, in, instead of being like, b- making a woman fearful, maybe encourage her. Say, oh, I see you're having a baby. What's his name? What's her name? How's it going? Be an encouragement out there. Be a defender of life. Support that. Do what you can to support that. Um, as, as the music plays, if you need to come forward or around your seat, you know, just think about, you know, what you can do to support that. Um, be an encouragement to each other. And, you know, if you are a mother, what are you doing to, to be the advocate and the trainer of your children to make sure that they're being raised to have the nurture and admonition of the Lord?